Compliance is a profession where people work tirelessly to make the world a better place. And there are hundreds of amazing and inspiring women who have helped the field develop into what it is today. Great Women in Compliance is part of the Compliance Podcast Network. So join Mary Shirley and Lisa Fine as they talk with women in compliance who are making a difference. Welcome to the Great Women in Compliance Podcast with Lisa Fine and Mary Shirley. We're featured on the Compliance Podcast Network, which has many other awesome compliance-centric podcasts for you to listen to on your commute or while working out. If you have any novel situations in which you listen to the podcast, Lisa and I would love to hear them right into us. I'm Mary Shirley, and today I'm pleased to have Cindy Morrison, Director of Post Holdings, Inc., as our guest. Cindy, welcome. Tell us about your background and how you ended up at Post. Thank you, Mary. Um, So I guess, full disclosure, uh, I am actually a paralegal, and I was working in-house in 2004 when they had amended the federal sentencing guidelines, and our general counsel had asked me to figure out what what Section 8, the compliance program, what that meant, what we needed to do. Fortunately, at the time, we were, uh, I worked for a company, it was a food ingredient company that was a joint venture between DuPont and Bungie. And as you may know, DuPont is like a pioneer in the compliance industry. They were doing Mm -hmm. it long before it was required. Mm -hmm. And so I was able to um, borrow many of their uh, good practices. And I also had really good leadership that allowed me to be creative. And so we built a really really good recognizable program uh, for the, the company at the time, which was Soleil. Uh, But all good things come to an end, and that joint venture was divested. And when uh, DuPont bought out Bungie's interest, I actually went with Bungie. I'm based here in St. Louis, Missouri, and fortunately, Bungie North America is here in St. Louis. So I went to Bungie. I helped them with their program. And um, then I bounced back to the the, uh, law firm industry for a short period of time. And as soon as I made that left-hand turn, I realized how much I missed the profession of compliance, um, the day-to-day responsibility of of administering a compliance program. And so I was extremely fortunate that Post Holdings is based in St. Louis, and they were looking for someone to be their director of compliance. Um, So that's how I wound up where I am today at Post. So it's the third multinational organization I've worked for. Um, And I really love what I do. And quite honestly, I do attribute a lot of my success in this profession to um, the Society of Corporate Compliance and Ethics. Mm, Absolutely. They've been huge for me as well. And and not only a lot of our listeners, but certainly the other women that have been interviewed um, on the podcast as well. So thank you to the SCCE and the sister organization, the HCCA for really helping with our knowledge, our networking, um, and and building the industry and turning it into a field in and of itself. So Cindy, I'm really glad that you mentioned um, that you're a paralegal because sometimes we hear feedback from some of our colleagues in compliance who don't have law degrees that there are not necessarily as many opportunities that they can be more narrow for those without law degrees. From what I can see, um, this hasn't held you back at all. So what do you think has been the recipe for success for you? Well, I I would actually say part of it is luck. Um, I really believe being in the right place at the right time, having, having, you know, work in house and, and quite frankly, um, many attorneys, including general counsels at the time, really, um, 
I, I don't know that they fully understood what um, implementing a program and sustaining a program meant. And so uh, part of it was luck. And then I believe um, the fact that I had such great leadership support with the first organization I worked for, um, that kind of gave me permission to go beyond what just looking at it from a legal compliance perspective. You know, more and more now we hear about the importance of the impact this profession has on the culture of an organization. Mm -hmm. And early on, early on, I worked for leadership that uh, recognized the value the program was having um, on, on the, quite frankly, employee engagement. And, you know, I also think that um, I really enjoy what I do. And that probably shows because, as you know, Mary, this is not an easy profession. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can be somewhat, it can be somewhat lonely. Um, so I would say, I mean, my recipe for success has been a couple of things. Uh, obviously, being in the right place at the right time, um, an early introduction into an organization that would help me really learn this profession. Because so many of us wind up, um, you know, are in the early days, many of us came from other professions. So I was a paralegal there. Yes, there are people out there with their law degrees. Um, Internal auditors have wound up in this space as well as HR professionals. Um, And I think where sometimes the narrow opportunities, it's really more for a chief compliance officer role. I think there's still some mentality out there in the C-suite that their chief compliance officer has to be someone with a law Mm-hmm. Thankfully, not, um, not everyone thinks that way. And um, we see a lot of chief compliance officers with far more diverse backgrounds than law. And I think you're a great example of someone who's been super successful. And um, I know you've, you've pointed to luck. I think a lot of it um, has been on your own merit. You're very strong, Cindy. And um, for the listeners, one of the reasons I, I was really interested in having Cindy on the show is that she is just someone with a really lovely presence. And I have no doubt that this translates to um, how you are in the office. And an example of this is very recently, Cindy and I were attending a conference and I was incredibly frazzled first thing in the morning. I had to um, take a conference call very early um, before heading into a session. It was the last Um, one of the day and I had a very tight schedule before getting to the airport and I'm just someone who is a worrier um, despite knowing that worrying doesn't actually help my situation and by luck um, I was placed at a breakfast table I didn't even see Cindy I was so stuck in my own mind and she she said you know hey Mary and we started talking and it was just amazing how there was um, a great deal of calm falling over me just by chatting with you Cindy and so Um, Those types of people are perfect to have in compliance roles, the steady hands that you know will get you through um, crisis situations or just sort of frantic and frenzied situations like I had um, admittedly put myself in um, that very morning. So um, I I think you're right as well that there is a lot to be said for being in the right place at the right time, but also some people carefully position themselves to be in the right place at the right time. Um, And I think there's a lot more um, to you than, than just luck. So thank you for being someone who um, was so good to me in a, a moment of panic. Well, you know, Mary, I, um, I make it a practice um, 
So for example, um, I really like the proactive side of what we do and in, in, in that, you know, training and empowering employees to understand what's expected of them. Uh, so I love when I'm out and I'm training, uh, whether it is an hourly employee. So I, I'm still today, Post Holdings is, um, we're a holding company, but we own many food companies. And so we have a lot of hourly production employees, many with language barriers. And I love it when you see the light bulb go on in their face. But at the same time, when I'm doing what I call the reactive side of our profession and I'm investigating mm-hmm. misconduct, you know, I think you have to be empathetic um, I think mm-hmm. to do this job well. Um, and it's real easy to, to try to find the black and white in a very gray area when we're talking about legal compliance. But when we're talking about people who are our greatest asset, but they're also our greatest risk. Um, and when I kind of shared that I love what I do, it's I'm very passionate about what I do because in the same way that, um, for example, being in the food industry, we never want our food to harm anyone, obviously. And the same mm-hmm. way if our, if our employees show up with 10 fingers and 10 toes, we want them to go home with 10 fingers and 10 toes. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> I, I find part of the role of corporate compliance is we spend more hours earning a living than we do living with the people we choose to be with. Mm-hmm. So when an, when an employee goes home, no matter what level of employee they are, what their position is in the organization, I don't want them to be to have their mind on something that happened at work and they didn't feel like they could speak up or it wasn't mm-hmm. being addressed. Mm-hmm. And so I want them I want them to be mentally whole those few hours a day they're with their family. And I guess that's what um uh you know, I guess I was trying to be humble, but I really feel like that's part of the key to my success. I understand that it's legal compliance, um, but it, it, but at the end of the day, it's the people who matter. And whether we're empowering them or, unfortunately, you know, in, investigating something as objectionably as we can, even when I'm interviewing a subject, my role is to find the facts, not to rob them of their dignity. So I never rob someone of their dignity. I'm simply a fact finder. Absolutely. And that's one of my principles as well for investigations, that they're not interrogations or inquisitions or, you know, putting a a flashlight in someone's eyes. They are nothing more and nothing less or should be nothing more and nothing less than pure fact finding. You know, and good. And there are bad actors out there, but there are Mm -hmm. also good people who just make really bad decisions. That's right. I think I think that's absolutely right. And then there are times as well where we get um, investigations where there seems to be enough for us to look into them, but it transpires that it's really just some kind of a miscommunication or something small. And so when you harm the employee relationship by going in too hard and too fast with people without knowing the full story, and in fact, it transpires that there isn't a substantiated um, allegation at the end of it, Um, I think you only lose in in that sense. And there's too much to risk because as you pointed out, our employees are um, our greatest asset um, and and you said our our greatest risk. But I'm a firm believer in that um, the better we treat our employees, not just the ones that we don't work with in compliance, but the ones that work with us too, the better our own lives are going to be. So I'm I'm really glad that you brought that up. I don't think we've we've had that um, raised um, before. And Speaking of of you being humble, I think there is a a very big difference in terms of people who 
are speaking out of arrogance and tooting their own horn. And, and I asked you about success. So um, you certainly um, don't come across as anything but humble. Um, so thank you for, for sharing your story. And I'm hoping that um, it'll provide some tips that will inform the approach of um, other people who are following in your footsteps. And we have a lot of paralegals um, in compliance. And so it's really cool um, for someone to have someone who's exactly got the same background that they do and, and understand the um, opportunities that are available to them. What are some of the key compliance risks um, in, in your area? So you mentioned fingers and toes being in one place. What else? Well, you know, so that, you know, the interesting thing is in the, so in the food industry, um, I would say, I guess what would be specific to the food industry is if we would look at like, you know, the Food Safety Modernization Act, you know, obviously all the, all the uh, regulations from whether it's the, you know, the FDA, the USDA, we own everything from <clears throat> uh, companies that make protein shakes to sausage to potatoes to eggs. So um, lots of regulations you know, regulatory things. What I try to do though, quite frankly, with, and, and, we're, and we're very fortunate in that we have lots of professionals and all those that are uh, subject matter experts in all of those areas, right? So we have food regulatory lawyers. We have obviously great EHS people. We have, you know, good food quality, food safety people. And what I try to do is stay focused on the corporate compliance piece. And then you know, if you think about it, so we're also a consumer packaged goods company. And obviously, if you look at the whole trade compliance, I would say that's probably one of our bigger risks. And then some of the countries in which we're doing business. So while the food industry is different than the oil and gas industry, the, the pharma industry, and, and all the various industries, I, I stay zeroed in on um, just basically, you know, those effective elements. Um, but for us, I don't know that they're different than many others, aside from the food safety and the regulatory in that, you know, we're worrying, we're worried about, or I wouldn't say worried, but we're focused on, you know, the trade compliance customs, where are we at a higher risk of, you know, bribery, depending on the country. Um, and that may seem somewhat remedial, but I know where my area that I'm like a, a subject matter expert, and it's really in what do what um, do we need to have an effective program? How do we properly implement it and continue to monitor it? Wonderful. That's yeah, it does. And so, what I'm wondering is, for those of us who come from other industries, um, in your view, there would be scope to move into um, a role in the food industry. Um, as long as you were willing to learn and pick up um, the unique um, food safety aspects and and um, and get up to, to date with those. Uh, yeah, and you know, although quite honestly, as I'm talking to you, like I would be nervous moving into the pharma industry or the or even the financial sector because you know those regulations are so much different than in mm -hmm. the food uh, in the food industry. But absolutely. I mean, I think, too, you know, what I see in the compliance profession is that there are some people who are really attracted to, you know, let's just say the third party risk area or the policies and procedures area. I kind of deem myself to be what I would call kind of a generalist in that mm -hmm. I'm, foc I'm focused on those elements and making sure we have people in place um, that are covering that and that we're all talking to each other. That is so important. 
Mm-hmm. So I yeah. can't just say, you know, like for example, and I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I, no, no. you know, I have a, we have a privacy officer. We have a chief privacy officer. He is fantastic. He and I talk, but I don't lay awake at night worried about GDPR, mm-hmm. about the new CCP, CCPA, because I know he has it mm-hmm. and that we, we're just in step with each other. Um, and same thing with, uh, you know, we have a different HIPAA privacy officer. I, I, I know we have someone who does that. Um, mm-hmm. And so, but I, I think the important thing is talking to each other. Yeah, absolutely. And then that's a really lovely segue into what I was going to ask you about next, which is um, communicating in the wider compliance industry. Um, I have found my connections um, outside of my place of work um, to be, you know, such a, a refuge, a sanctuary for being able to geek out about compliance, to understanding benchmarking and learning more about what other companies are doing and establishing um, genuine bonds of friendship. So I understand that you've been heavily involved in setting up the compliance community or sorry, a compliance community in the St. Louis area and successfully holding meetings, which is something that Matt Kelly and I have been doing in the greater Boston area. And if there are any listeners wanting to join us, please let me know. And uh, we have somewhat inconsistent results as to turn out from meeting to meeting. So we rotate the locations um, in which we hold our meetings. And it's interesting that the Western suburbs um, actually pulls together more people than in the city. So I'm curious to know, how did you go about putting your group together with colleagues from, from other companies? And what do you think has been the key to your strong rates of participation? Uh, so interestingly, um, I was introduced to an individual by Jay Rosen um, a number of years. <laughs> a number of years <laughs> yes. So a number of years ago, and, and mind you, I think this last um, conference where I saw you was probably my 13th consecutive wow. time of attending the uh, Compliance and Ethics Institute. Anyway, I, I met with Jay a number of years ago, and he wanted to introduce me to someone who was a part of a a compliance community in the Los Angeles area. And he was moving to a company here in St. Louis. And so we met and we tried to uh, loosely form what we now call the Compliance Association of St. Louis. It's called CASEL. And we, I don't know that successful is the word, um, because, you know, here's the challenge. Most of us are departments of one or are very few. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we are in the business of um, putting out fires. And so... And and at the time that we were doing this, it was during the economic downturn and none of us had budgets. And so we would try, we would Mm. try to meet at a restaurant or we would, we would do like a happy hour, but we had a core group of individuals. And while St. Louis doesn't have a lot of headquarters at the time, Monsanto was still Monsanto before they became Bayer. but we had Monsanto and some big companies that were really interested. And, um, and we got together. Well, I'm, I'm trying to make this a much shorter story. What we now do is, so we just literally gathered last week, and um, we now just have two meetings a year, and my post holdings, uh, we hosted it this time, so we had a round table from like for 90 minutes, late in the afternoon, and then we had a social hour afterwards, and about 18 individuals came, and we already know that our next meeting is in March. And I, and what we did, really what's going to make this successful is we've simplified it. And another, another compliance professional in St. Louis area from Enterprise told us of, about how uh, 
a, a professional organization he belonged to was um, governed or organized. And basically, when we meet in, uh, so the host in, in March is another organization. They'll host it. They'll send out a call asking for, you know, any topics anyone wants to discuss. So we had a couple of topics, and we always end with what keeps you up at night. But the beautiful thing is we have networked. We've made these friendships, and, and, and it's not unusual for someone within this organization to send out an email and say, hey, can someone help me with how do you do metrics or, you know, maybe a question about the employee speak-up line. or so. And then, we've, you know, we've created these relationships that – Sometimes, you know, it might be a one-on-one -on -one that gets together for lunch, or we'll just say, let's have a happy hour. But what has cemented us is just saying, on the third Thursday of October and the third Thursday of March, we will get together. And before we get up from the one session, someone volunteers to host the next one. And mm -hmm. um, and I will tell you that when I sent uh, this a uh, number of months ago, I said, listen, I want to reconvene uh, Castle. I couldn't believe the interest and right. really 24 people were supposed to come, but six had fires. So mm -hmm. uh, there's a real interest in, 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 you know, if you're trying to start this, um, you know, find people. And if, if you don't even have that core group, figure out what your headquartered organizations are, reach out, find out who's the head of their compliance. Even if you start with lunch with a few people, um, but there's so much value in this from, you know, from on from a selfish perspective for myself, because, you know, this can be a very lonely profession. Mm -hmm. um, no one wants to be on compliance's radar because <laughs> no matter how hard we try to prove that we're not the policy police, mm -hmm. you know, um, people still view us that way. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I've noticed it's not always the case. But a lot of the time, what I see is that com compliance, when we are a group of more than one, compliance sits with um, compliance at the lunch table. And I think the person who I've seen, you know, not fall into this best is a former colleague of mine, Karina Volmer, who's chief compliance officer at PAE, a government contractor. And she was fantastic. About, she's a real extrovert. Um, so I would um, basically hide behind her waiting for her to make friends. And then I would you know, make friends off, off the back of that. And she would make friends with people from all throughout the business um, and, you know, would spend lunch times together. We'd then, you know, cement those relationships to the point where we were able to socialize after work, then on weekends. And so I think what you're saying is, is true. There is a, a, a great deal of being alone, but we don't necessarily have to be alone in our own workplaces. And it does take courage mm -hmm to step out and, and let people see you as being a, a person that is actually fun or nice or otherwise rewarding to hang out with in the office. Um, so in, in addition to that, taking our um, steps outside of work to build our compliance communities as well to feel le less isolated um, is awesome. And I'm, I'm so glad that you've, through it sounds like experimentation and a little bit of time, found the formula for um, getting a good turnout and, and having nice attendance. It, it, I have to say, it's been a wonderful experience. And um, I, if, if nothing else, I would say our network is growing. And if I could just rephrase something very quickly about the isolation piece. Mm. It, and it's, it's not so much about the compliance professional sitting alone in their office, because quite a, I have right. built really good re relationships. Yep. But 
you know, unfortunately, when it comes to trying to talk through situations in our day-to-day jobs, you can't talk about, you know, you, we, there's so much we can't talk about with our, mm-hmm. with the, our, our coworkers. Mm-hmm. So having someone outside that you can talk to, uh, that to me is what helps me sleep at night. Cause I, you know, you can at least run something by someone who's not in your organization and, and they totally understand what you're talking about. I think that's right. And I, I didn't mean to put words in your mouth about the isolation no. piece. That's absolutely my own sort of thoughts and, and observations there. And I have no doubt um, that you are rather stellar at getting around the office and, and chatting with people. But I, I fully relate to the side of, um, you know, there are some things that you'd, you know, you'd love to, uh, you know, for, for lack of a better phrase, get off your chest in terms of being able to talk to people about things. And, you know, we have some really heavy stuff go on as well. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine right. what it must be like for HR. Um, and so when we get to the, you know, the real serious or egregious stuff that is, is somehow wrenching at the heartstrings and not having the colleagues at work to talk about, but at least on a very high level, being able to empathize with colleagues um, in compliance outside of our workplace, I find that, that quite valuable. Oh, absolutely. I, I, yes, it is. It's a, it's a good sanity check for myself. And you mentioned HR and, and, and I know quite honestly, I have nothing but a lot of respect for HR professionals. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. However, there's usually multiple people in an HR department and, and, and so they can, you know, they can talk to each other. (laughs) And when you get into, you know, and it's funny because I did introduce myself to a new hire once and I said, Oh, hi, you know, I'm Cindy Morrison. And she goes, Oh, and what do you do? And I said, well, I'm the director of compliance. And she said, yeah, I don't want to know you. (laughs) You do have those situations where people are like, yeah, I just don't want to be on your radar. And I'm like, well, Mm. Why would you worry about that? But anyway, I, I, don't. <laughs> I hope you kept a closer eye on her just, <laughs> just because she said that. <laughs> uh, you've been practicing okay. compliance for some time in international corporations. What do you do to keep your knowledge up and ensure that you always continue learning? Well, so uh, again, um, I think it's, you know, you have to be really proactive about it. There's so much out there. So, you know, I think subscribing to the right, um, not just newsletters, but and blogs, I have really good relationships with outside counsel as well as our in-house counsel. So basically, in my head, I've identified different subject matter experts that are attorneys. And, you know, I've, I've built those relationships. So as things change, or, you know, I'm constantly reading what's not only in the news, but I, I subscribe to as much as I can. And, and while it might seem like overkill, I mean, I think we're pretty good at, you know, being able to work th- through things pretty quickly and, um, that, you know, are read th- through things quick enough that we can determine that stuff that we need to read. I save a lot of that for airplane reading because um, I spend a lot of time on planes and it's just perfect to, to stay up on, on changes that way. But as you know, huge legislative changes, they're everywhere out, you know, there's, you can't avoid them. For example, mm-hmm. even when the DOJ issued their recent guidance, I don't know about you, but I was probably uh, invited to 12 webinars within the first two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then um, you see the posts going out on LinkedIn, every um, mm-hmm. vendor um, law firm will put out their own commentary on mm-hmm. guidance. Mm-hmm. 
I think it, I think what's tougher than staying up to date on changes is uh, getting the right information. So generally I will just, one of the things I will do is go right to the source. So the mm -hmm. actual, for, for example, staying with the uh, example of the DOJ guidance, going right to their document and reading that. And mm -hmm. then, you know, from there looking at what, what, like you said, vendors and outside counsel are offering. But for the most part, I try to go right to the actual subject so I know I'm not getting quote unquote fake news. Well, yeah, and another thing is that can be problematic is that people are, are sort of uh, making a statement about something and then talking about, you know, are you in a position to handle this um, so that they're trying to sell their services within that message. And that's fairly unhelpful unless you actually are a, a warm lead looking for a, a consultancy service to help you on it. So I think that's a great suggestion of going right to the source um, and making your own analysis of it. And um, if you want commentary, there's a few good thought leaders out there. Mm -hmm. um, Tom Fox is um, one of um, mm -hmm. my favorites. He, he taught me a, a lot about compliance before I even knew Tom. Mm -hmm. And nowadays, of course, our podcast sits on his network. So um, mm -hmm. funny how right. life happens like that. But I like to choose sort of select people that I know aren't necessarily trying to sell me things. Um, and, 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 and I like their thought leadership. So that's a great way. Maybe um, I, I need to think more about um, instead of going straight to Tom, as well, relying on my own thoughts and looking at what the Department of Justice has said as well. You know, I, I want to say, though, like, for example, um, when you think, I feel like the, the conversation we're having today is a lot about people, whether it's our employees, mm -hmm. whether it's the compliance professional, subject matter expert. But when you brought up Tom Fox's name, I, I'm very familiar with Tom as well. I think about and, and and let me go back to even talking about the networking or the you know the mm -hmm. compliance community. This is about people who are very passionate about what they do that mm -hmm. are willing to to share, yep. right? So I think mm -hmm. I think about Tom Tom Fox and the knowledge that he has shared with so many people, and we could name many many people who have so generously mm -hmm. shared this knowledge. And I mean, I started in 2004 and I was that person with, you know, a deer in the headlights. And I was like, what have I gotten myself into? And, you know, this is such a generous profession and with people sharing and, you know, the, in the expectation of the DOJ and the SEC is that you are benchmarking and you are sharing best practices and most other professions that would mm -hmm. be some type of a legal violation, but in our world mm -hmm. it's expected and uh, we're fortunate because the people who are willing to share their expertise um, are really knowledgeable. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I couldn't think of a better note to end our um, part one of a two-part series with Cindy on um, really positive thoughts there and a lot of gratitude from the both of us about um, being in the compliance field. Well, thank you for being um, on the show for now, Cindy. Um, we look forward to welcome you, welcoming you back for part two. And dear listeners, please keep a lookout for um, Cindy's follow-up episode coming your way shortly. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Great Women in Compliance. We hope you'll join us in honoring the great women in the compliance field by subscribing to this podcast and leaving a review.
You're welcome. Um, you have um, a boss who is new to um, corporate compliance. Um, how do you work together to ensure that the relationship is healthy and productive when supervisor and employee come from different backgrounds um, and your bosses um, learning some of the intricacies and nuances um, of the compliance world? Well, I'm very fortunate because my, you're right, he, he, I like to say he inherited me last year. Um, <laughs> and so he took on the role of chief compliance officer, but he's also, um, you know, it, we, we're structured in a very interesting way in that, um, and by the way, um, we also talked in part one about sometimes the limitations if you don't have a law degree, and mm -hmm. yet some of the best cor uh, corporate compliance officers, chief compliance officers I've mm -hmm. met, have actually um, basically come up through operations. Mm -hmm. And um, so my boss, uh, his, his, his background is really in food quality and food safety. He is the chief safety and compliance officer. And in the way that I spoke earlier about, you know, we want you to go home with all your fingers and toes and we don't, never want our food to harm anyone. Um, we now have this whole umbrella where we have all of our risk areas under uh, in, in, in one group. But what's really interesting is um, the way uh, Dan and I work together is, there's a lot I can learn from Dan. He's, a, he's an incredible leader. He knows the business. He knows the operations very well. He knows the people very well. And he uh, will be the first to admit that he's new to corporate compliance, yet he's read the Compliance 101 manual. He's been through his second institute already. Um, he, so he is, um, I guess really what we're doing is we're playing off of each other's strengths and weaknesses. And, mm -hmm. uh, so, and so it's, it's actually working out very well. As a matter of fact, he's more strategic and I'm more tactical. Mm -hmm. And yet under his tutelage, I will become, I know a much better leader, a stronger leader. Um, you know, it's, I think it's important to recognize uh, your weaknesses and, and I, I am a people person. Um, but I prefer to be invited places, not invite mm -hmm. myself. That's yes. not natural. <laughs> mm -hmm. And yet, if I wait for our businesses to invite me to come in and meet with their HR teams or train mm -hmm. at their locations, that invitation is never going to come. And mm -hmm. so he, he's teaching me the fine art of inviting myself. Mm -hmm. And, um, and he's also teaching me a lot about our operations. Um, and at the same time, we spend a lot of time together talking through uh, our risks and visiting our businesses together. And um, like I said, he is, he's not like, he's not taking the assumption that he knows food regulation, so he's just going to know corporate compliance. Um, he's mm -hmm. taken the time to really understand, um, you know, what's expected of him in his role at the same time, he trusts me and the knowledge and the experience I have. So I would say it's working out really well. I was nervous at first, but it's, 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 it's turned out very well in that I recognize what he can teach me, and he is open to uh, learning from me as well as some of the great resources that are out there. That's great. And um, just thinking for anyone um, on the podcast, I know – for sure that we have listeners out there who aren't yet in the compliance world and they're looking 
for um, ways to break into compliance. Um, so it sounds like um, you may have recommended that he read a Compliance 101, which I think is an SCCE publication. He's attended a couple of the um, forums, um, the annual conference from the SCCE. Did you mm -hmm. give him any suggestions for um, additional reading materials, for example, signing up to blogs or maybe podcasts, anything else that you thought would be um, accelerators to help his knowledge? Oh, yeah, I, I kind of inundate the poor guy with links to <laughs> articles and blogs. And um, I also uh, just a few weeks ago gave him uh, Roy Snell's book, The Accidental Compliance Professional. Mm -hmm. He like read it like, overnight and so mm -hmm. then I gave them how to become a wildly effective compliance <laughs> yep classic uh, and so <laughs> he he his you know his his uh his he his um his thirst for knowledge is incredible and he's a consummate reader um and he's also uh still very strongly thinking about like doing an academy or some other type of uh you know compliance training learning um and uh, he's now a proud member of our Compliance Association of St. Louis. So the, that's the other wow. thing I have tried, wow. I, I have tried to do. For example, yeah. I, I don't resent that, like, when our chief compliance officer left last year that they appointed Dan. I don't resent mm -hmm. that at all. Um, I, I love the day-to-day. -day, I love the tactical part of what I do. And I've made it a point of introducing Dan to other chief compliance officers in St. Louis so that he has that resource. Yeah, that's great. And, you know, they've already got you, Cindy. So um, if there are additional knowledge areas that he has and contribute to with his strengths whilst he's learning about compliance, I think um, that's fantastic, right? It seems like there's a really beautiful balance between um, as you mentioned, you're complementing each other. So you're covering um, each other's gaps and therefore making an excellent team. Yes. Um, and there was one thing that I wanted to follow up on that you mentioned. Um, so I've mentioned this multiple times um, on um, the podcast. Um, but again, uh, it is, it is, it's very true. I am an introvert through and through. And so the idea of inviting myself to um, business things, kind of inserting myself, if you will, um, it doesn't really come naturally to me. So how did your boss um, share with you? Or how did he teach you more about um, being more effective at that? Well, um, <laughs> the, you know, the expectation is that I'm, I'm, I'm doing a good job and that I also know it's really important um, to build those relationships and so mm -hmm. I, I guess the, the, the short answer of that is I don't think it was an option. So his expectation mm. was that I was visiting uh, the corporate headquarters as well as uh, our operation locations. So Post Holdings, um, as a holding company, we own six different business units. That's how we refer to them. And all those business units may own other companies. Mm -hmm. And um, so in my world, there are seven CEOs, there are seven HR departments, seven executive leadership teams. And so communication is incredibly important. 
And if I'm just communicating through email or the phone, there's the, they don't know the person. And so I would like to still be sitting in my office waiting for an invitation. And, and, but he basically his message was no, mm -hmm. it, it was one of my, it was one of my objectives for, so we just finished a fiscal year. And one of my objectives was to get out, introduce myself to every CEO, right. mm -hmm. um, do so much training a year. But he also helped make some of that happen. So, for example, we attend our annual planning meeting where all of our leadership is there. Mm -hmm. And, and um, he, you know, he opens doors as well as he expects me to open some doors myself. So, basically, I just had to swallow my fear, pick up the phone and say I was coming. Mm -hmm. well, that's great. Um, and what I'm hearing or assuming from this is that he also makes sure that you have the resources. And in this case, i.e. the budget to be able to get out there and do some palm pressing and get on the ground. Would that be fair to assume? Absolutely. It's fair to assume. Um, mm -hmm. I, I, he, I, I get the resources from him. The other thing I think that's very important to mention is this is not an easy profession to be in if you don't have an advocate. Mm -hmm. And while Dan might have been new to corporate compliance, um, this, you know, this specific area, um, I, for a moment, would never doubt that Dan has my back. Mm -hmm. Not obviously if I go rogue, but I have his full support. And mm -hmm. um, also, we also have our leadership's full support. So I can pick up the phone and talk to our CEO just like Dan can. It's never... I don't have to communicate through Dan. The, the expectation is that I'm communicating as well as Dan is communicating. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he sounds interact. amazing. Yeah, he's a good guy. Mm -hmm. uh, will you tell us about a book that has changed the way you see things in the office and subsequently model your behavior and how it has positively impacted on your professional and personal life? Oh, how long do we have? Just kidding. <laughs> we have time. We have time. Go for it. So what, what, so the book that has had the most impact on me is The Four Agreements. Um, it's by I, I'm Don Miguel Ruiz, R-U-I-Z. What's mm -hmm. interesting about this is in passing at, and, I, and again, in no way am I associated with the Society of Corporate Compliance and Education other than the fact that <laughs> other than the fact that I'm a member and I'm certified. However, I was having a conversation uh, in passing with Greg Traguba at one of the annual institutes. And mm -hmm. in one of the first years I went, Greg was a, a presenter. And, and this is a few years after the fact, and I happened to run into him, and I was telling him how much I enjoyed it. And I was able mm -hmm. to be very specific about what he did during that presentation. And uh, so anyway, somehow in the course of our conversation, he suggested that I read the four agreements and I did. And I will tell you, it, it has profoundly impacted me personally and professionally. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and I actually wear a bracelet that has the four agreements on it. And wow. they are, the first is be impeccable with your word. And so it's easy to think that's about, you know, being truthful. Um, but it's also about not gossiping. And if I think about our role as compliance professionals, um, you know, again, I don't ever want to rob anyone of their dignity or someone's respect. So I, mm -hmm. I take it the, confidenti the confidentiality that's required of us very seriously. Mm -hmm. um, and also, I think our, our words can be 
as large of a weapon as some of the most destructive weapons we have. Mm-hmm. We see that we see that with our employees. Um, it's you know it's potential in each of us as, as individuals. So that was easy. But the thing about the four agreements is, and I get I'm going to try to to wrap this into uh, like when we're out and we're uh, training employees or we're we're talking about corporate compliance. Mm-hmm. Think about so for here's my example. I'm uh, I I have four siblings. I'm there are five of us. I'm the middle child, and same house, same parents, same rules. Mm-hmm. How did we all? How did we all turn out differently? Well, while we're receiving the same information, we're processing it based on our disposition, and each of us are born with a certain disposition. Mm-hmm. So you think think about your employees. You have hundreds of them in some locations. Excuse me, walking into the door, and suddenly we expect them all to behave the same. And yet we're bringing stuff in, messages that we've received throughout our life. Mm-hmm. And everyone has burdens. They have things on their mind and they're bringing mm-hmm. that into the door. Mm-hmm. So the, the purpose of the four agreements is it talks about things that we learned throughout our, our, our you know, throughout our lives. And, and, and it's trying to change some of that. So the first agreement you make with yourself is to be impeccable with your word. The second mm-hmm. is don't make assumptions. Mm, big one. So when, when we think about our employees and we think about how they interact with each other, so often it's because we've made assumptions. Like, or even think about when you were a child on the playground and like, you know, Mary doesn't like me because she doesn't invite me to play whatever. Well, it could just be that Mary is an incredible introvert or it could be that, you know, Mary doesn't even realize I'm there. And I'm, so my point is, it's like, I try not to make assumptions. It's it, it, that mm-hmm. is one thing. If you can change, right? Mm-hmm. And when we think about compliance programs, and it, with all due respect to all the enforcement agencies that say we have to have all these things, if 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 the one thing that is missing, if there's no dialogue in your organization, right? So if your C-suite is making assumptions about something in the middle level or the, or the lower mm-hmm. level is making assumptions, it, it, it creates a very dangerous environment. So right. I, try, I try never to make assumptions. Mm-hmm. The other one is don't, the other agreement is don't take anything personal. Mm-hmm. So in the, in the same way that we may say something negative to someone, even if I say something positive like, oh, I really like your coat, it, it simply means I like your coat. It doesn't, it shouldn't matter what I think. And mm-hmm. that kind of goes back to what we were talking about, about the imposter thing, right? Mm. Uh, if we know we're doing the right thing, if we're taking the next right step and we're not intentionally trying to hurt someone, it's good, right? So it's, don't take anything personal. And mm-hmm. the last agreement, and, and the last agreement is always do your best. But the most mm-hmm. important thing to re- remember with that is my best today will look different than my best tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And, and it's definitely different than it was yesterday. So I know it's, 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 it's interesting, but I will tell you it was so profound that I actually, um, there's like a workbook that goes along with it, or a, it's a, like a partner book and it's a shorter version. And I often look at that um, because I feel like if I can at least half the time get some of those four agreements right, I'm, I'm going to have a better day. I'll be a better professional. I'll be a better person. Um, 
And um, so it was probably one of the most, it was the most impactful book I've ever read. That's wonderful. And um, Cindy, um, you're so influential to me. I have a, such a great deal of respect for you that I instantly um, bought that book after you recommended it to me and I read it um, fairly short, uh, soon thereafter. I think I was like you. Um, flight's a fantastic time for um, looking through readings. I otherwise see them as dead time unless there's something um, showing on the movies that I, I really want to watch. Um, so I make so much use out of my flight time, including that point at which, you know, you've boarded, but the plane's not ready to go and the entertainment system's not on. I just do mm -hmm. so much texting and leaving voice messages in that time and I'm super productive. Um, but I, I, I got a great deal from the book and what struck me is that a lot of, all of the agreements are, are very simple right? Like the, the, the message or the value is very simple, but some of them are really difficult. Um, mm -hmm. You know, the, it, we've always been conditioned our whole lives um, to be gossipy. It's almost a survival thing, right? Like if you say something negative mm -hmm. about someone else, that protects you in that moment. Um, it, it can be hard to do your best um, when you're not feeling motivated. All of them were you know, very easy for me to understand what I had to do, but not so easy, I think, to implement. So um, I think that's the challenge for me going forward is taking um, what I learned and ensuring that I'm living those values going forward. Did it, did it take some time for you to adjust? Oh, yes. I mean, and, and, and please, I don't do it perfectly by any means. However, mm -hmm. um, I it's really interesting because as I read that book, I, I've never taken so many notes and, and, and the way I memorize things is by writing them down and writing them again. And I just, I, I, I just wrote in so much and I still will go back and write. And again, you said, um, and, and I agree with you, it's hard to keep them in practice. But when you mentioned, like, you know, it's hard to do your best when you're not motivated. Well, that may be the best you can do that day. So think mm -hmm. about we're so good at beating ourselves up. And, mm -hmm. and I'm a perfectionist, right? So another book I read was The Gift of Imperfection by Brene Brown. And it's another one that I just swallowed up. And I feel like if a book is speaking to you that much, there's something there for me, at least, that I need to, um, to look at. And I, I believe in, I, I really want to know myself because mm -hmm. I, for whatever reason, it's, it's so important to me to be my authentic self. I just want to mm -hmm. be an authentic person. And, and, and that means that I am imperfect and, and by no means, you know, am I perfect and do I have these four agreements down all the time? But mm -hmm. I will tell you that, that when I start getting uncomfortable about something, I, you know, simply saying, did you take that personal? Or wait a minute, did you make an assumption? Mm. Um, and and that's the difference. Or if I do find myself gossiping, is it when I'm doing that, then I'm taking the focus off myself. And mm -hmm. I need to come right back to Cindy Morrison. And what does Cindy Morrison need to work on? Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> Great one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like I said, if you can get it, if you can get it right 50% of the time, but I will tell you that that book really but, I mean, anytime I talk about it, I want to go grab it. 
Well, I shall let you get back to it shortly. So thank you so much for your time um, in, in doing this little series with us, Cindy. It is such a pleasure to have you on the show, but also to know you. Thank you for, um, for being there for me. Thank you, Mary. It's, it's just so easy to talk to you, and I'm just so grateful that our professions have connected us. Absolutely. So to wrap up today's show, everyone, I wanted to touch a little more on imposter syndrome for a moment. A lot of the readings that are available on the internet are often to do with what are the things that you can do um, to help combat uh, your own um, imposter syndrome. But I want to set you a small challenge, hopefully a, a very tiny quick movement um, that will have some positive ripples. So often in life, um, we see fantastic people who are outperforming day to day. They constantly do a good job or they've done a project um, and pulled it off and you think, well, that was such a feat. I'm sure they know that. But the reality is we just never know what people are thinking on the inside. So I'm going to ask you to identify someone in your lives um, for the next seven days. And I know you might not be at work for seven days in a row, but you're going to be interacting with people during your weekend who are doing their job. And I want you to take a moment to tell them about something that you really admire about how they do their job, an accomplishment that you think is awesome and needs to be brought to their attention. Something that lifts someone up and makes them feel really good about themselves. So hopefully together we can um, impact the lives of people who may be struggling and going through a little bit of imposter syndrome now because we know that um, it's hugely prolific and people sit there suffering silently from it. So if you'll do me that favor, I'd be most grateful. Um, thank you so much for listening.